ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Doctor Script Podcast, where we talk about your favorite movies, what was good, what was bad, and how we can improve upon them. We don't just talk about the problems, we talk about the solutions to the problems. Now, if this intro sounds a little weird, it's because Taylor is not with us today. Uh, he has a very important business in Underland to take care of. So I'm here with my special guest, Dr. Sarah. I was on board until you said Taylor was in Wonderland. Now I, I want no, no, out immediately. He wasn't in Wonderland. He was in Underland. Oh, because if he was in Wonderland, I would care. Yeah, because we would understand and care. We would understand? Oh, no. If anybody is questioning what film we saw today, it was Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> not not the good one from the 1950s. No, no, no. We saw Tim Burton's 2009 or 2010 or whatever year it was. It was 2010. Uh, 2010 Which remake. means everyone should have known better by that point. <laughs> by that time, Avatar was, like, long gone. We should have really understood what God. 3D was and what all that was, but yeah. So, yeah, I'm Sarah Levin. Um, I have a bachelor's in screenwriting, which means I am perfectly qualified to say that I did not like this movie. Um, That's right. For many, many reasons. So tell me about those thoughts. What made what what truly made you think about this movie at, on a deep, real psychological oh, level? Oh, God, I didn't think about this movie. I didn't care. I didn't care about anything that happened in this movie. That's so good, because neither did Alice. Oh, okay. Alice didn't care throughout this entire movie. Al- Alice could have been replaced with, like, a lamp or, like, a, like a papier-mâché head on a stick. Mm-hmm. And it would have been the exact same movie. She made no decisions. I mean, do you have any thoughts on, like, the original Alice in Wonderland? Like- I like Alice in Wonderland. I think it's charming, and it's it's not, I mean, it's not, like, it's not going to blow you away. No, the plot is not it's deep. It's not and, meant to be, like, a masterpiece. It's just supposed to be, like, a visual, weird thing. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's whimsical, and she's a little kid, and she's walking through this weird place and meeting all these fun people, and they are weird, and then she meets more people, and that's all you need in Alice in Wonderland. It's just kind of supposed to be like a, oh, ha-ha, it's making fun of the aristocracy. Look at all these, that man's in a hat. Isn't that funny? Look, there's a bunny over there. It's not meant to be like a sweeping Elizabethan power struggle with political dynamic. It's just very weird. But you don't want Harry weird. Potter in your Alice in Wonderland? I don't, it was, it was more Lord of the Rings to me. It was it, just trying to be everything. Yeah, like, it was just, oh. should we start from the beginning? Let's start from the tippity top where we start with what every Alice in Wonderland starts with, <laughs> international trade. Imperialism! <laughs> <laughs> we open on this group of men discussing like business in a corner, and a little girl walks like past the study, and her dad looks over and is like, you've been having those nightmares again. She's terrifying. <laughs> that act, I'm sure, listen, I have no, I'm, I'm not making fun of child actors. Child actors get enough shit as is for, oh, they're not performing to the level of adults, boo. But the kid that they cast is very cute. But they made her look like this terrifying like, Victorian she had, like, ghost girl. Bags under her eyes. <laughs> she was like, so something, scary. Like, and, and like her dad tucks her back into bed and is like, what happened? And she's like, I had the nightmares again with with the rabbit and the cat that disappears. And her dad's like, oh no, you've gone mad. You've gone insane. Let's put you in the asylum. Yeah, it's essentially, it's, oh no, I'm having bad dreams about bunnies and cats. And oh, have I gone round the bend, papa? And then it's basically just to establish that Alice's father was made from incorruptible pure pureness. Exactly. And then he dies. <laughs> he was weird. He passed on that weirdness. And 13 years later, uh, Alice and her mother are riding to her engagement party <laughs> and talking about her dead father. Alice is play- What's How do you pronounce her last name? I Mia? Believe it's, I believe it's Wasikowski. Wasikowski. I I'll feel Wasikowski. bad if we... I'm just going to call her Mia because I'd feel bad if I mispronounce People it People get so mad at us time. whenever we like mispronounce. Uh, 
Wasikowska. Wasikowska? Okay. Mia. Um, we're just, I'll just call her Alice. Yeah. She is... <laughs> she, she is a tissue on a stick. She has no personality. The first thing we see of her is her staring blankly out the window with this sort of like, you know the face you make when you're doing long division in your head, to quote Joey Tribbiani? That's her face the whole movie. She never reacts. Yes. She's just kind of staring. And I mean, in Mia's defense, the whole movie's green screen. So I'm, she probably didn't know what the hell she was yeah, supposed to be looking not at. not a lot of acting. I mean, she was, you know, she was young, you know, 18 at the time of like making this 18? movie. Uh, I mean, oh she'd God. been in stuff before, but, like, this was her first big thing. She was in Jane Eyre the next year, so, like, she's she's had a good track, like, since then. And it's funny, because I like her in Jane Eyre, and she's she does a really excellent job. So it's not her fault. She's not a bad actress. I, it really just does feel like she has no idea what's going yeah. on. It's the writing she had nothing to work with, because there was literally nothing to work with. Yeah, so, so. she's in the carriage... And her mom goes, why aren't you wearing your corset, Alice? Why aren't you wearing stockings? Most unorthodox. And the whole time, this is my first big issue with the movie. We don't know what Alice is. We just know what she isn't. She doesn't like corsets. She doesn't like stockings. She doesn't like dancing. She doesn't like... Uh, the British aristocracy. She doesn't like Hamish, who she's supposed to get married to. She yeah. doesn't like being a lady. Like, what does Alice like? She has Just, no interest. No, that's the problem is that, like, it's it's the problem with the... I mean, a woman did write the screenplay, but I'm pretty sure the men behind the studio were like, ah, yes, a woman likes to be different. She likes to be independent, doesn't she? But it's not... They, don't, they didn't realize that she also has to have a personality behind being independent. She just doesn't... We don't know what Alice is, and... The whole time we're getting introduced to her around her, because it's she's going to her engagement party, as Sam said, and she's getting married to this very obnoxious man named Hamish, who they couldn't have, he's not even a human. They couldn't no. have made him any more obnoxious. He's, he's like blowing his nose into his hand. He's like, I like it when women don't speak. Like, we don't need a reason to, do, she <laughs> doesn't want to get married. He doesn't need to be a freaking goblin. The thing, like, the thing, at least, that I'll give Hamish is that he has a personality. Yeah, it's true. Like, at least we know that he's like, a very straight-laced man who wants to follow his duty and do his thing. We meet uh, these two, like, obnoxious twins later on, and we know that they're gossipy, and they they love, like, the 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 scandal and the intrigue of the, mm-hmm. of the higher-up world. We meet Alice's sister, who's very much about her duty, doing what's right. We meet her, uh, her brother-in-law, who's cheating on Alice's sister. We meet uh, this other fancy woman who I don't actually know the relationship. <laughs> I think it's to Hamish's family. mom. Oh, it's Hamish's mom? Yeah. Uh, Hamish's mother, who's a very stern woman <laughs> who like, <laughs> hates everything and like has a very strong opinion about everything. Like, mm-hmm. At least they have stuff in like the 30 seconds we get to know yeah, them. Yeah, you know who they are immediately. Like We know who they are and what they want, and we don't know anything about Alice. I do give them credit for at least trying to make Alice like a little bit, you know... They're they're trying to give her that I want to be different thing. They just don't go far enough. And like, there's there's a way to make it work. I think my first big note would be, and this kind of spoiler alert to the end. Alice <laughs> comes spoil thirty minutes into this. <laughs> yeah, right. Alice comes back, and you know has been 
inspired and empowered by being in Wonderland and goes, I'm going to follow in my life. Oh, she's, that's too interesting. That's not how my, I'm going to follow in my life. Basically, she wants to become a shipping magnate like her dad and wants to be a business partner and travel to China. But we have no indication that she even cares about that. So no. even just five lines about like, I don't want to be a housewife. Father used to sail the world. Why can't I do that? Like, at least then we know she wants something. I mean, and maybe there was a deleted scene somewhere, but I have yet to find it. And I don't know. But basically, we meet all these side characters who have more personality than her. Yeah. And while she's walking with Hamish's mother, she sees a white rabbit in a waistcoat mm-hmm. running through the bushes. And she's like, excuse me, uh, Mama, I'm going to go chase after this rabbit. <laughs> Grandmama. <laughs> she, she ditches her own engagement. Hamish gets down on one knee and goes, will you marry me? And she goes, peace, and runs Bye. and just takes off. <laughs> and she runs and she follows the rabbit down the rabbit hole. I guess. <laughs> and she falls deep, deep down this hole, falling for miles and miles. For solid three minutes, which is and a she, long time to watch someone fall down a hole. She also, like, hits, like, the side of, like, a car, like a cupboard, or, like, a cupboard, or, like, someone's, mm-hmm. like, a nightstand table. She almost gets and crushed by a piano. She dead, not how gravity works, but that's yeah. okay. And she finally crashes through, like, the floor of something. And then it looks like, oh, nope, she's actually standing on the ceiling. Oh, sorry, the cameraman was just turned around. Yeah. <laughs> and then she falls to the floor. And then we get to watch Alice do an escape room for five minutes. Yeah. It literally it is, in a movie full of moments that I didn't care about, that was the most boring thing in the movie. Is It's the scene where she's, What's eat me to, and drink me. and she's trying to show to, that she's inventive and she can figure things out, but... But she's not figuring anything. It says, drink me. She found the one door, like, she found the door, congratulations, that the key went to, but there's only so many doors you can pick. And then she's just kind of blankly walking around, no expression on her face, like, oh, drink me, okay, and drinks it, and then I can fit through the door, but oh no, I can't reach the key. Eat me, all right, and then gets bigger. I have to drink the thing again. It's just, it's like watching someone do a bad escape room. Yeah. Of, it's lateral thinking. There's no challenge to it. It's it's stuff that would be fine if you were the one doing the puzzle, but because you're watching someone do it, it's not fun. Mm-hmm. And so she finally gets, you know, gets to the, her small size, grabs the key, opens the tiny door, and pops through, and she's in Wonder... Sorry. Under. Underland. underland which looks movie, bleak. They're gonna call it Underland, and they're gonna make fun of Alice for calling it Wonderland. And you, audience member, you idiot. How dare you? What, what do you think? This is Alice in Wonderland? No, this is what, Alice dumb? in Underland. This is Tim Burton's Alice in Underland. So she walks into Underland, and she runs into, like... All the familiar characters. You got the you got the white rabbit. Mm-hmm. You got your Tweedledee no, and McTwisp. Sorry, McTwisp, the white rabbit. They all have names. You don't know why. They don't need them. They all have them. They also never tell Alice their names, but somehow Alice remembers all of their names. Yeah. McTwisp, the white rabbit. Malleumpkin, the mouse. Yes. And the Tweedles, who are grotesque. Grotesquely looking. Not much of a script thing, but just a thing to know for the movie. Just... I cannot emphasize enough to you, dear listener, how disgusting the Tweedles look. If you took a potato and put a face on it, but the face was, like, also too small for the potato and then attached to, like, tiny arms and legs and then put them in overalls, you kind of have a perception of what the Tweedles look like. They are so gross every time they're on and screen. And never forget, this was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. They're just dis- they're just weird-looking, and not in, like, a kind of fun Tim Burton-y way. They no. just look look bad. It's just weird. And then we've got, yeah, we've got uh, the dodo bird and like, yeah. like a couple other like weird things. And they all look at her and they're like, it's Alice. We always knew you'd come back, Alice. And she's like, 
This is a weird fucking dream. Yeah, yeah. it's a weird dream. I'm dreaming. And that's the first mistake they make, I yes, think. is making her think it's a dream for 90% of the movie. Yeah. And uh, then the mouse gets mad and said, it's not... It's not Alice. It's the wrong Alice. Let's go consult the vaping caterpillar. <laughs> and so they go to see the vaping caterpillar, voiced by the beautiful Alan Rickman. <laughs> he is... I can't even tell if that's just the character if he's phoning it in. Like, I couldn't I mean, tell. he might have literally phoned it in. That's actually... You know what? Uh, Fair. Uh, <laughs> but... Also, just a side thing, the sequel to this movie was his last role ever he, that he did was the oh voice of... God! ...of, uh... Absalom. Whatever, Absalom. Uh, but in this movie, he's like, she's not hardly Alice, which, whatever that means. Yeah. And then the... There are some things in this movie that I liked visually. One of them is the playing card soldiers. I thought that's a cool design. Yes. And there's a... There's a Bandersnatch with them, who basically just looks like a snow leopard on on like steroids. And to be fair, the first time I because I'm sure I've heard the Bandersnatch from Alice in Wonderland, but I forgot mm-hmm. about it. So the first time I heard that, I was like, Black Mirror. <laughs> Are we just going to go into a choose your own <laughs> Alice in Wonderland adventure? Yeah, she she makes a video game. Uh, but so the red red card soldiers and the Bandersnatch run into the into the group and they start kidnapping all the crazy mm-hmm. fantastical creatures and the Bandersnatch scratches Alice. The mouse stabs the Bandersnatch just, in the eye. Just rips his eyeball out for kids, you know? For kids. You know, for kids. And then Alice gets away, but the Bandersnatch and the guys kidnap all her buddies, like her friends who she's known for 15 seconds. Yes. Oh, and then this was important. There is a prophecy. Oh, right. The whole thing of her is that they are, like, looking for the correct Alice because mm. they unravel a scroll that tells them everything that's ever happened and everything that will happen. And there's a little picture of Alice, like, cutting off the head of what's called a Jabberwocky, which is just a giant dragon. Yeah. And it says, you will be the chosen Alice to defeat the Jabberwocky. And when you defeat the Jabberwocky, the Red Queen, her, her reign of terror will end and... After th- it's really not important what happens after that. We just need you to be here for that thing. And then after that, I guess everything's great. Yes, but the uh, all that crazy stuff happens. There's like a... What kind of bird is it? Like The, the Jub-Jub the bird? The Jub-Jub bird kidnaps Tweedledee and Tweedledum. And mm-hmm. that's how we get our big swooping aerial shot of the Red Queen's castle. And we are introduced to the Red Queen who orders the execution of a frog for eating her pastries. <laughs> and the... This... This I had I, this killed me when she goes like someone ate my tarts and the frog has like jam on his face and you're like oh that's kind of whimsical that's kind of a funny moment and then they start dragging the frog away and the frog screams please I have a family it's like Jesus, Jesus Christ please no my wife and children like we don't need this why does ev- the everyone in this movie is three days from retirement and yes. has a wife and children. Honestly, they, they do. And we we see the Red Queen. She sits in front of her subjects. And we see this weird, creepy Crispin Glover, uh, <laughs> like, right-hand man that she's got that, like... I think he's the Knave of Hearts. I think that's his... Hearts. They gave him some long, weird name, and I... It, it left my brain the second I heard it. He I don't know what it is. He's a long, weird knave, so I understand why he's a long, yeah, weird name. He's also terrible. They, they CGI. Was he CGI? Body, I'm pretty sure his body was CGI. He just looks weird. So weird. Unless Crispin Glover was just like, what if 
I do this, and if you, none of you can see me. He just I, dislocates his arm. Also, guys, I got a haircut just for this podcast, but none of you can see it. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I forgot this wasn't a visual medium. Oh, God. But I'll be doing hand motions throughout this whole thing, so I hope you guys you <laughs> for, know. For those of you listening at home, we moved our arms a lot. <laughs> this is so going to get difficult. That's Crispin Glover, and... Uh, God, what happens from there? Um, she goes and meets the Cheshire Cat, who is the one oh, character yes. I like. She wanders through the forest and just bumps into the Cheshire Cat. Yeah. And the Cheshire Cat's just like, hello, come see me. I'll take you to see your old friends. I think the, the only reason I like Cheshire Cat is because he feels like he's out of Alice in Wonderland. Yes. He's the least changed from the original. He's weird and sort of vague, and he tells jokes, and he's got that, he like teleports around. And even in like, the face of adversity, he's still like cracking jokes and like he recognizes the danger of the situation mm-hmm. but he still like it maintains his personality it doesn't hurt that he's voiced by Stephen Fry yes but he's the only one where like he feels like it's Alice in Wonderland like in the scenes where he's there it's like oh yeah this is Alice and it's whimsical and weird and then they go to the Mad Hatter and then that ends really really quickly yeah. the Cheshire Cat takes uh, Alice to a tea party being hosted by the Cheshire Cat the March Hare and the Mouse again, which I don't know. By the remember. Mad Hatter, the March Hare, and the Dormouse. Uh, yeah, because that's not the same mouse. Is it the same mouse? It's just, she's just there. Yeah, but yeah. how does she escape? Well, listen, if we... <laughs> <laughs> All right, whatever. People, people are just where they need to be in this movie. The, especially it. the Dormouse. She is in, like, eight scenes where it makes no sense that she's even there, but it's just like, oh, okay, hi, Dormouse. <laughs> but then, like, the... So we introduced to the Mad Hatter, played mm-hmm. by Johnny Depp. Uh, we'll leave that alone for now. So we're gonna, and then he does that thing that, like, I'll be honest, it does it wins me over whenever he does that. Where he does this whimsical, like, ah, uh, he walks across the table. And it's like, oh, Johnny Depp's having a great time, and like we're just sitting there, and he's like got Alice, he's having a tea party, and all of a sudden someone like mentions the Red Queen, and he gets all serious. And his voice goes into a Scottish brogue for a little bit, <laughs> and like I can't do the fucking voice. I'm not gonna try. He he's got this. This thing that actually in a better movie would be interesting, where he's kind of two people, is yeah. that he's this like whimsical, like high pitched wispy voice. He's like, "Oh, I'm the Mad Hatter," and then they something gets serious, or someone reminds him of like, "Oh, his buddies have been kidnapped," and he goes into this very deep Scottish voice. And it's in a better movie, yeah, would be something very cool. When it but, didn't seem like it was weird and <laughs> random and flipped around, like when it felt like there was a transition to it, mm-hmm. he like gets like angry and that doesn't seem like the mad hatter yeah it's it's the mad hatter having like vietnam flashbacks yes. like oh we'll get to his own flashback don't it's, worry it's very he's he's very even in a weird movie he's especially weird to the point where i'm not even quite sure what they were going for and no. did they succeed like you know what i mean it's so weird i don't even know if they nailed uh, what they were trying no, to they do no they know what they're going for and no they didn't succeed but basically, oh from there, uh, the knave of hearts is being led by a basset hound who also has a wife. <laughs> My wife and children. <laughs> no, the, the knave is like, all right, you do this for us and we'll free your pup and wife. Jesus and your pups and your wife. And it's like, oh, God. And then also the knave of hearts horse talks to him and says, dogs are so easy to fool. Yeah, everything talks. Old, that's the only line the horse gets throughout the whole movie, but they decided that was an important moment to have the horse talk. <laughs> Couldn't have been anyone else. But yeah, they, uh, they go to the tea party. Al- oh, by the way, this is a running theme. Alice is never the right size. Yes. 
this whole time she has been small because she's still small from the door room. And then the Mad Hatter gives her another thing to make her even smaller. And they put her in a teapot, and she's like the size of a gerbil at this yeah. point. And so the Basset Hound comes up and starts sniffing around and sniffs and like knows that Alice is in uh, the teapot. But the Mad Hatter gives him like one of those like. Uh, like the rebel signature. Are you cool? Like, hey, you cool? Man. <laughs> hey, you cool? <laughs> and he, then the, uh, the dog understands and leaves them alone and like starts barking like far away and mm-hmm. he just runs away and the knave of hearts is trying to trying to fuck with our heroes. <laughs> the knave of hearts is just first. Also, the March hairs like very weird. I, I mean, I keep saying everything's weird, but I can't over exaggerate. Just how disconnected all the characters seem from each yes. other. But yeah, they're all just throwing teacups at the Knave of Hearts, who Crispin Glover is playing like a serious, creepy character. And then in the background, there's a rabbit chucking yes. scones at him. And it's like, what movie is this? Nobody knew what movie they were in. Oh, God. Uh, I think except for Anne Hathaway, but we'll get there. <laughs> Anne Hathaway and her floaty so, hands. Uh, so the then, Mad Hatter so then, takes Alice, and he's going to take her to the White Queen. I think that's the plan. Yeah, the plan is to take her to the White Queen, so that because Alice is supposed to be the chosen one to mm-hmm. be the one to save the day and along the way Alice uh, the Mad Hatter stops at this kind of burned down village and Alice is like what happened here what's going on and that's when we get <laughs> Mad Hatter just staring straight <laughs> forward and we have a Vietnam flashback it's, it's it literally is like every okay before we describe this, just think of every single like sad backstory flashback you've ever seen in any movie. Yes. It it is that. It is like, oh, we're at a carnival and oh my <laughs> friends and family are here. And then the Jabberwock and then the flies Jabber- <laughs> burns everybody. And his hat murders, falls off. Murders everyone. Murders every single member of his family. And then we zone back in from the mad hatter. And Alice is going, Hatter? Hatter. Which means that he didn't tell that story <laughs> to just Alice. staring into space. For t- it's terrifying. Uh, but at some point they keep walking, God. but they hear that uh, that the Knave of Hearts is right behind them. Mm-hmm. So what the Mad Hatter does is he takes his hat, because Alice has been riding on his hat because she's so small, mm-hmm. and he throws the hat, just frisbees it out of there, and it flies for, you know, whatever, 78 miles. <laughs> She lands next to a tree. Mad Hatter's kidnapped. Alice, in her one moment of freedom from anyone telling her what to do, this is her first decision that she has made, pops out from under the hat, looks around, and then promptly gets back under the hat and and goes to sleep. Well, because she thinks it's a dream. But also, why would she try to go to sleep in her own dream? She's just... its what what does she want? What is she, okay? But the in next any case, day, the Basset Hound finds her again, but he's all alone. They have so, my children. <laughs> they have my children. They have my Alice. You don't understand. <laughs> it's like that Family Guy joke. The Harrison Ford's like, I want my family. <laughs> God. Uh, but yeah, so the Basset Hound picks her up, and he runs to uh, to the Red Queen's castle mm-hmm. uh, because she's trying to free all of the all of her quote unquote friends. Yeah, all of a sudden Alice gets a bug up her butt about freeing the Hatter, who she's known for fifteen minutes, five of which were spent with him having a full on <laughs> flashback and not talking to her. But she's like, "We have to save the Hatter. The yeah. plot demands that I suddenly care about him, so we gotta go." <laughs> so she gets to the Queen's castle. The way she gets across the moat is by like climbing across God. these like stone heads Not which are probably like I don't think they're the people, stone the people's heads that she killed in Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland for a child audience 
Alice invades the castle of the Red Queen by wading through a lake of corpses. (laughs) And she gets across, scoots into like a crack through the castle and gets into the castle grounds where she runs into the, the white rabbit and she's like, white rabbit, do you have any more of that cake that'll help me grow? And he's like, yeah. I just have it. <laughs> he literally just takes them out of his... I feel like that was just, like, the screenwriters on their 80th draft. Like, whatever. Yeah. He just has the cake. I can't deal with this anymore. So she eats the cake, and she grows huge, and the Red Queen walks up to her, and she's... I don't know how this worked, so can you please explain to me, because I don't know. The Red Queen walks up to her, and she's like, who are you? And she's like... And then the, the White Rabbit's like, she's um... And the Red Queen's like, oh, her name is um... And Alice is like, I'm from Umbridge. And the Red Queen recognizes Umbridge? Yeah, I guess that's just a thing. She just, there's a whole, so the Red Queen has a big head. That's not, I mean, that's kind of the joke, is that that's the joke, is that she literally and metaphorically has a gigantic head. And so Alice is huge, and the Red Queen's like, anyone this gigantic and freakish looking clearly belongs in my court, which might be the real line in the movie. I mean, maybe. It just was weird that, like, the thing that led up to it was, like, Alice is like, this is where I'm from, and it's like, sure. (laughs) Yeah, I'm from Denver, Colorado. (laughs) Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, I love the Broncos. (laughs) Denver. <laughs> and so the Red Queen just invites her back into her court. Uh, they sit in her throne room. Uh, the Mad Hatter, like, comes in and doesn't give away Alice a secret. Like, the uh, another thing that I will give the movie is that most, most movies have that thing where, like, when two people recognize each other, they look at each other, mm-hmm. and they have that, like, really long moment of recognition. And this movie doesn't do that. Like, they, they like, very silently, always everyone always acknowledges that they know each other. Mm. And that's, like, really cool. I like that, but... That they're actually undercover. Yeah, they're actually working undercover. On they it. understand, so, like... Yeah. And then the Hatter convinces the queen not to murder him by, like, I'll make you a giant hat for your big-ass head. And she's like, <laughs> okay! Uh, I am Johnny Depp. Also, in a, in a weird moment, the, the Crispin Glover, which I'm not going to call him the knave, he's Crispin Glover. Crispin, Sir Crispin Glover. Sir Crispin Glover just peers over the queen's, like, chair and looks at Alice and is like... She's fucking huge. <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> That's not a joke. That is literally a plot point. Yes, so then uh, <laughs> later on, Alice goes to the Hatter's workshop mm-hmm. uh, where she, where he, like, is, you know, working, and he looks, like, he's super happy. He's like, I get to make hats for a living, and then you see that he's chained to the table, and he's actually not free, mm-hmm. and he gets very sad again, and... He gets sadder. He gets... He's sadder hatter. Sadder, ha- mad sadder. Um... He's that whole scene. I don't know what they were going for, except if they were trying to make them a romantic couple. Like it's it hard to does tell. feel like they're trying to have that moment of like, oh, they li- they li- Allison Hatter. <laughs> That's her full name's Allison. Allison Hatter. Uh, but yeah, so she, you know, hangs Good. out with the Hatter. <laughs> At some point, the White Rabbit steals the Red Queen's book. The, the prophecy. The yeah. Prophecy. Oh, it's that's so it's such like a non-important. It, it's point. such a weird mix of things that happen in the Red Queen's yeah. like th- like throne room. Basically, is that then uh, <laughs> then uh, Alice leaves the Hatter's workshop and the Knave of Hearts puts in a very creepy way. Yeah. Like 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 full on just puts his arms around her and is like, I like women who are larger. And the literal line is. I like you, um, I like 
largeness. And out loud in the room watching that movie, I just turned to Sam and went, ew! Ew! I didn't want to talk about Me Too topics when I was watching Alice in Wonderland. I didn't want to have to think, ooh. And, but for some reason, this random woman from the court, like the Queen's Court, mm-hmm. notices what the Knave of Hearts did. Because I guess the Knave of Hearts is supposed to be in love with the Red Queen. We've never I think she's this. in love with him. She's like, she's like, oh, why don't they like me? I even had to kill my husband, the Red King. And we see, like, a head with a crown in it, you know, for kids. And he, the... Sir Crispin Glover is like, yes, but isn't it better to be feared than loved? And she gives him a hug and goes, at least I have you. And it's, what do you see in him? <laughs> like, is it the fact that he's made of silly putty? It's his arms. <laughs> is his weird his silly weird putty, putty arms, arms your thing? It's okay. It's not the weirdest set of arms. We'll see. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, and <laughs> Foreshadowing. We, I think then we get Alice going to find... The she, oh no the what we I think somehow the Mad Hatter heard earlier that the like the sword that Alice needs to use to kill the Jabberwocky is in with the Bandersnatch, which oh, those yeah. are a series of words that are so weird to the say. The Vorpal sword is kept next to the Bandersnatch so for no reason, really. Like it's there's no reason it couldn't be kept anywhere else, but the plot I mean, demands that it's there. I mean, it is a good thing because it's like the you know the fiercest thing that she has. Well, then why her. not keep it next? To the Jabberwocky. Well, because then you could kill the Jabberwocky in his sleep. See, they understood what they were going for. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I just vomited a little bit. (laughs) Don't you ever defend Tim Burton in this house again. Uh, so yeah, but, she but, gives the band, she gives the Bandersnatch his eye back. Yeah, at some point she goes back to the mouse when she hears that the sword is with the Bandersnatch and is like, "Give me that eyeball!" <laughs> and she just takes the eyeball from the mouse. She goes to the Bandersnatch and like instead of giving him his eye, he just she just rolls it to him. Oh, it's gross. <laughs> and uh, basically, she like then she has distracted him, so she tries to open the box, mm-hmm. but she can't open it because it's locked, and she falls asleep. <laughs> And just wakes up eye to eye with the Bandersnatch. And she realizes that the key's just been around the Bandersnatch's neck this whole time. Yeah. Even though she could, you could clearly see that there was something there to look at. And then he lets her take it because she's his buddy now because she gave him back his eye that they previously stabbed (laughs) out. Which, like, that's how I made most of my friends in college. So, you know what? That's how it goes. And she opens it up, gets the sword, and, like, tries to run away. But at some point earlier, the mouse gave away that... Alice was, in fact, Alice and not mm-hmm. this cr- girl named Um. <laughs> this gigantic woman named Um. So. so they have to escape. Hatter's in prison, but Chesh breaks him out. It's just it's, it's just kind of things happening after yeah. that point. Well, like, so Alice climbs aboard the Bandersnatch. Uh, all aboard the Bandersnatch. All aboard the Bandersnatch. <laughs> and she goes to the White Queen, played by Anne Hathaway. In the weirdest perform. Okay, first of all. I love Anne Hathaway. Yes. I love her in this. She's having a lot of fun. She has no idea what's going on. But damn it if she's not going to have fun. She tries so hard. She really does. She works so hard They on put this. her also in a very cool, like, it's a cool yeah. outfit. Well, she's all, she's fully, speaking. like, monochromatic white with, like, this dark black lipstick. And she looks very ethereal and weird. I mean, the movie did win the Oscar for Best Costume Design. Yeah. And it genuinely does deserve it. I think it, like, it earned it's it. Really, it's a really well-done costume design. And, like, the production design's a little weird. A little weird. Still won the Oscar we'll for that, too. talk about that later. Uh, but, yeah, and so when Alice comes to uh, to the Queen, now she's still huge, mm-hmm. so uh, Anne Hathaway uh, makes her a potion from human fingers 
and her own spit. And there's more. There's urine in there too. <laughs> True, I can't the urine, but it they, shrinks her. Yeah, it yeah, shrinks her back to normal size. And uh, there are a couple scenes of Alice and the Queen kind of talking about what it means to be a leader. Yeah. Uh, at some point, the 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 Cheshire Cat and the and the Mad Hatter plan a, a prison break, mm-hmm. and at some point they also like. Uh, have convinced the entire Red Kingdom to turn against the Queen. Yeah, the, the Cheshire Cat takes... They're going to behead Mad Hatter. They're going to behead that because, you know, off with his head, whatever. But the Cheshire Cat takes his place and so vanishes before they can do it. And then Mad Hatter jumps into the... Jumps into where he was trying to escape. Just goes straight up to the executioner and throws his arms out and goes, Everyone, we don't have to listen to the Red Queen. Down with the Red Queen. Everyone's just and everyone's like, just like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know we what? Should. This weird guy makes sense. I knew. Th- I know that like we were all on board with killing him literally forty five seconds ago, but he hadn't talked to us about his dreams. Exactly. <laughs> so now I'm on board with it. And so basically, at that point, once everyone's turned away from the Red Queen, she turns to the knave and says, "Everyone's against me. We're gonna go to war." Yeah. And she's like, "Release the Jabberwocky." And so uh, the Red Queen and her Red Knights are on their way. The White Queen and her White Knights are getting prepared. And the White Queen is just like, all right, who will be my champion? Oh, there's one important thing. I guess. That's, there's, there's one important thing that happens before this. Alice still thinks this is a dream. Yeah. She has been beaten, clawed, attacked, thrown off a cliff, ducked into water, climbed over corpses, and shrunk and grown, and fallen asleep multiple times. And she's talking to the Hatter before the Red Queen shows up and goes, I shall miss you when I wake up. And I screamed at the television, how can you be this stupid? How can you, like, it's, denial is one thing, but it's so dumb for her to think it's a dream that whole. Yes, like, it's, it is. She never stops thinking it's a dream. And the whole time she thinks it's a dream, and then the next day the White Queen is like, who will be my champion? And everyone else steps forward, but then they remind everyone, the, the, the prophecy says that it can only be Alice. So why even ask? But then Alice... <laughs> why did they ask? Then Alice just starts freaking out, even though she thinks it's a dream. Yeah, she's like, oh god, I don't have to do anything. And then she runs away kind of in tears and doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And she finds the Alan Rickman caterpillar uh, has now chrys- crystallized. Crystallized? He's in a chrysalis He's now. in a chrysalis now. <laughs> and she, uh, I don't know if it's a verb. <laughs> and Alice is just like... Chris the, Angel. The, uh, are, is everything okay? And he's like, I'm not dying. I'm just make, moving on to the next step. And that's supposed to mean something, I guess. I, I get the metaphor, but like, at, at somehow this makes Alice realize she's not dreaming. It is very weird. He's like, I can't help you if you don't even know who you are. And she goes, I'm Alice. And he goes, well done. Now you can... <laughs> like, like, what changed? He was running out of time. Yeah. He's like, it is chrysalis. And he's like, oh, oh I'm ready to die. You, you did it. Uh, you're good now. <laughs> it's also just like, all right, we're at page 100 of the screenplay. We got to keep going. She just kind of gets it together. She's just like, I'm she... Alice. Well done, Alice. Well, and then at some point she realizes... That this is a that she actually that what she thought was a dream was actually a memory, mm. and which is to, which is now telling us the original animated Alice in Wonderland is actually the prequel to this Alice in Wonderland. <sighs> that, is, that is what they're trying to tell us. We here. see multiple scenes of child like creepy Victorian waif <laughs> ghost Alice, the kid from the beginning, 
in Wonderland. We see yeah. essentially the scenes from the end of, like, uh, she meets the Cheshire Cat, she has tea with the Hatter, she's painting the roses red, which I'm so mad they didn't do. I love that yeah. from the original. I mean, she did mention that in the garden, but yeah, yeah. it is mentioned. It's... It's almost like they're rubbing in our face, like, look at this movie you could have gotten. Yeah. No, we don't get any of that. That we, was the prequel. This just, is better. Th- this is what happens after Alice left. Things got horrible after Alice it's left. It's bleak and sad. You know, Alice in Wonderland, bleak and sad. But basically, Alice realizes that this is real. She has, for some reason, now she decides to follow her destiny, even though she, the whole point of this movie seems to be that she needs to do her own thing. Yeah, she doesn't... We'll, we'll talk about that later, yeah, but that but is a big problem. She suits up in a pretty badass suit of armor. Mm, uh, I will, with, Yeah, I'll give it that. That is an amazing sword, suit of armor. And somehow both armies agree, like have figured out exactly where they're meeting, and they get there at the exact same time. They probably read it in that book. True. I they, mean, I guess if it is Prophecy Day. Yes, uh, <laughs> it's Prophecy Day, everyone. Wear your nicest clothes. It's they, Prophecy Day. And they, uh, they meet up, and... Alice steps forward. The Jabberwocky is released from his his chambers. It's just like it just seems like an old man who's just like crawling out of like a oh fuck. Oh. He like stretches like oh, and, and then, then he, talks. he talks. Everything in this movie talks. But he only the gets chairs, one line. The chairs talk. The 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 water talks. The Jabberwocky talks. But the Jabberwocky has one or two lines, and the first one is like, "Oh, it's good to see you again." And Alice is like, "I've never seen you before." And the <laughs> dragon and the Jabberwocky just like, "Not you, the Vulper Sword." I'm so <laughs> pleased to see it again. I can't wait to defeat you. And it stops talking from there. It. And Alice goes, no more talking, <laughs> which, illustrating the thoughts of the audience, Alice screams, stop talking, and cuts its tongue out, which, yeah. like, whoa! <laughs> and then they fight. And then they fight, they get into a big battle, uh, they climb up, a, uh, like, a ruined castle, the entire red and white army start fighting, the Mad Hatter is, like, really going to war, he definitely was in Vietnam. Like, the, Mad Na- the Mad Hatter has a claymore sword, he's got a two-hand sword and he is just wailing on people. Just picture the Disney Mad Hatter like with his white hair and he's just got a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, the Mad Hatter's got an automatic. The Mad Hatter has a gun. Hatter's got a gun. Mad Hatter 3. Mad Hattier. It's it's just so overdramatic and the music sweeping and crazy. This is the climax but it doesn't matter. We get to the end and Alice has cut off the Jabberwocky's head and she's freed the land from whatever it is. There's, I'll go back to that, why that climax was terrible. But then the real climax of the film. Well, then all the red soldiers drop their weapons. They're like, Alice, you freed us from the Red Queen. (laughs) We're we're good now, I guess. We're we're cool now. (laughs) We're all good. (laughs) The Red Queen's just like, no, this is my kingdom. And the crown flies off her head, goes to the White Queen Everyone's like, all right, we're all cool now, right? Right. And they... That's <laughs> <laughs> basically what... Hey, we're all good now, right? I guess. It's such a non-climax. <laughs> like, they, they handcuff the Red Queen in the name of hearts, and they they push them off into, into like, uh, exile for the rest of their days. Mm-hmm. And... They and handcuff them together. They handcuff which them is together. Weird. So, you know, they'll be together forever. And then what? what's the best way to celebrate... Killing a dragon and freeing an entire land of people. Well, I know what it's not. I know what it's not, Sam. And what what it's not 
is the Futter Wagon. <laughs> they had built that up. They foreshadowed the Futter Wagon. Well, they mentioned this thing called the Futter Wagon throughout the movie where they're like, the Mad Hatter was always the best at the Futter Wagon. And everyone's like, what's the Futter Wagon? And they're like, oh, you'll see. And then at some point... Oh, you Matt, just wait. It's going to be Hatter, good. A.K.A. Johnny Depp starts breakdancing. <laughs> he just breakdances alone for a solid minute while everyone just stands and watches. Well, and then <laughs> Anne Hathaway's doing a little bit of dancing with her fucking floaty arms. Oh, we haven't even mentioned, I don't think we ever mentioned we the floaty mentioned arms. never mentioned floaty arms, but the moral of the story with, everyone's got a thing at the moral of the story. Anne Hathaway, she acts with only her floaty arms and she like, she was born to be a princess. You know, like the thing that like some fairies or like I think fairy I think of like fairy godmother where like yeah. they have their hands up by their face and sort of like whimsically like floating around. Anne Hathaway does that the entire movie. There is never a moment where her hands are not directly next to her face and even when she enters rooms, she enters rooms with like ha ah, and eventually it's like we get it. <laughs> like, you oh, can stop oh, she doing got that. it, too. She knew what she was getting into. But yeah, Johnny Depp break dances. Johnny Depp break dances, and we watch it, and we see it happen, and we let it happen. <laughs> this was the point of the screening where I, I had my hands on my face, and I looked across the room at Sam and went, this is your fault. <laughs> and this is, is your fault. I asked you to be here, and I'm sorry for it. Uh, uh, but, and then so let's just... Let's just get to the end. God. So uh, the White Queen gives uh, Alice the blood of the Jabberwocky, which apparently when she drinks it will take her back to her home, which she and Mad Hatter have a heart-to-heart where she's like, I want to stay here, but I've got things I need to do. I guess. For sure, why not? What things, but all right. She's never told us what things, so she drinks the blood, goes back to the upper land, and in one fell swoop in 60 (laughs) seconds, tells off everybody. And not at the same time. One by one, she walks up to party guests and goes like, you're dumb, I hate you, you were mean to me, my father never liked you, like, damn, (laughs) And, like, she, like, you know, says a couple nice things. She's nice to her sister. She's nice to her mom. Mm-hmm. And then she walks up to uh, her dad's old business partner and is like, Sir, I think we have some things to discuss upstairs. And he's like, Oh, of course, madam. You just, you had no business acumen before. But <laughs> We've never talked about this. <laughs> but because you told off everyone, including my son. <laughs> blatantly to his face. <laughs> I'm going to listen to you. And so Alice and this, like, dude go upstairs and they talk about international trade once more and Alice is like we, my father thought big but he didn't think big enough what if we sail and we do business in China what if we go to China we have a base in Hong Kong we could set up can you imagine being the first people to make a trade route with China and Sam and I looked at each other and went did <laughs> Alice invent did, colonialism? Did Alice invent colonialism? Yikes. Was that the moral? And she does. She does invent colonialism. She sure sails enough, to China. We end with her on a boat. A blue butterfly has landed on her shoulder. She's like, hello, Absalom. And the butterfly flies away. We fade to black. And that's Tim Burton's Alice in oh Wonderland. My God. And now that we've gotten through it, how are you feeling? Tim Burton owes me five dollars, like just for the price of watching it. He needs yes. to pay me that money. He, I mean, oh, I, I guess we, I, I think we should get into surgery and really talk about what we can fix. Because I want to talk about your thoughts on things like Tim Burton and these Disney remakes. But I think we gotta gotta stay focused 
let's just dive straight into surgery. Okay. Uh, what is what is something big that you would fix, or even something small? What Alice. Is like, Alice. Tell Al- me, tell me that, what you'd fix. It's not a good sign that Alice is the least interesting part of Alice in Underland, I guess. Oh, God. She has no character. Like, I, she is the definition of a passive protagonist, which is, if you, if you haven't listened to Dr. Script before, and I'm sure you guys <laughs> have hit this at some point, is nothing... Alice never makes decisions. Things just happen to Alice. She yes. shows up, and immediately they go, you're Alice, there is a prophecy, you will kill the Jabberwock. And she goes... Okay, and then like, you have oh. to go to the White Queen. Okay, you have to go to the Red Queen. Okay, here's the sword. All right, and she doesn't make a decision. Well, it, there she gets moments where she's presented with things that look like decisions. Where like you know when the the dog comes up to her and like lifts up the hat and she's like, "You're gonna take me to the Red Queen's castle." Well, he's the dog of the Red Queen. He was gonna go there anyway. <laughs> yeah, like, he's there to and, take her to the castle. And then the Bandersnatch, like, you know, she's like, oh, I gotta take the sword to the White Queen. There's no safe place in Underland. Of course you're gonna go to the White Queen. Like, and they all said take the sword to the, to the White Queen. Like, there's nothing that is her decision. Everything looks like it's her decision, but it's all just a front for it not being that way. I think the biggest, I think really de- delving deep into the the inner flaw of why Alice is kind of like this, my first note would have been take out the prophecy or have it be vague. Have it be like someone is going to kill the Jabberwock and maybe for some reason or another they've lost hope that it's anyone there. Like, oh, it could have been the Hatter, but he's mad now, and that would have been interesting. That would have been a cool way to tie it in. We need Alice. Alice was an outsider. Maybe she can do it because then... If the prophecy says Alice is going to kill the Jabberwock, and that ties into my problem with the climax, there's no tension. Alice is going to kill the Jabberwock. Because it's, we've seen it on the paper. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We're just waiting the whole climax. Like, she's going to kill him. Like, there's yeah. no risk involved. Like, and I think part of the other thing with Alice is that we get told, even even the things that are not part of her personality, we're, we're told what she's not. <laughs> but we're always <laughs> we're told, most unorthodox. But we're told that through other people. Mm. Alice never does anything herself. The only thing she, like, does is, like, tell her dad about her dream. What would be really good is if instead of her mom saying, you're not wearing a corset, we take that moment where she's going to get dressed for the day, and she looks at the corset and either, like, rips it up or, like, you know, fucking does some Chucks it out the window. Or, like, makes it her own or does some, like, Mm. you know. It's cheesy, but, like, at least that's a, a thing that she does and, like, shows that she's different. Like, she's, everyone tells her that she's different, but we never see her do anything besides, like, when Hamish is like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm looking at birds. Yeah, oh, cool. I want to know, know what it's like to fly. It's like, well, yeah, you just saw some birds, so of course you're going to, like, think about that. Like, it's It, it could have been a cool, actual, like, a cool story beat if that, there's a conversation that she has with her mother that's like, you're going to marry Hamish, stop having your head in the clouds, it's kind of it's, you know Pirates of the Caribbean the first Pirates mm-hmm. where there's the conversation that Elizabeth Swan has with her father where she's getting dressed yeah. and he's like you need to be a lady you need to marry Norrington I think that whole conversation if we're watching Alice get ready to go yeah. and then it's like you need to wear your stockings you need to wear your corset and then her mother leaves and Alice chucks them out the window yeah. like that's agency if you see her do it and then even when she's a, like a kid like if she you know tells her dad about these stories and like what if they like reenact them like together? Like oh, that's they like cute. do it like as like a cute father daughter thing, or like she even like draws pictures or something instead of like saying, "I thought I saw a rabbit in a white waistcoat." Isn't that silly? And her oh, dad she... says like 
oh, that's mad. It's whatever. She draws them on a boat together. What yeah. if we see her as a kid, like, I want to sail with you? Because that you, you got to set up her having some kind of dream. Like, of sailing of or anything. Yeah. She's just, even a little tiny moment where she goes, father was a merchant sailor. Father explored. Why can't I do that? And her mother goes, because you're a woman, Alice. You have to get married. That's th- and, that's two lines. Immediately we know what Alice then, is. Oh, and that's also stuff that can already fit into the scenes we've got. And yeah. you, can, you can still get the she's most unorthodox. Not <laughs> most unorthodox. She's got a relationship with her father. Mm-hmm. She sees these weird things like in her, quote unquote, in her dreams and she has things she wants to do. You can do that all in one scene. Yeah. And you get all of it and then you can even get straight into Wonderland. I I just, I want Alice to be an active protagonist. And I kind of like the thing where it's like, oh, it's a dream. I would have loved it if they played into that more and she's like cocky, where it's yeah. like, it's my dream. Well, I can do whatever I want. Well, they play it up to a point where like, it, when she gets like scratched mm-hmm. and someone just like, like rubs their fingers over her like wound, she's like, how that hurt? It's like, yeah, that hurt. You're not dreaming. Yeah. And... Have her clue in earlier. She doesn't know for 90% of the movie, and there's no stakes if she doesn't care. Well, the other part that I would fix with Alice, if if we're able to make her this more active protagonist, yes. is instead of doing all these cutaways to other people, like mm. even at the party, we st- we are focused on her mom and the, uh, and the businessman for like a solid minute. And we never really go back to that conversation ever. Hell yeah. And, but if there's so much stuff that's not about Alice, the entire movie... Alice needs to be in every single scene and almost every single shot. Mm-hmm. She needs, it needs to be told from her perspective exactly like the like the animated one is, where everything follows her. Where if as long as she's this active protagonist that we like, everything is seen through her eyes. Because when we get these like cutaways to the Red Queen, you know, wondering where her where her pastries are and like mm-hmm. all that. It's, it takes away the wonder because all these people are part of this world already. And it would and, have been... Oh, go ahead. And, and yeah, you, you just, you, you're already, like, thrown... It's good, it's good to be thrown into something and just kind of, like, let it happen. And you, you do get the Red Queen's personality immediately. Mm-hmm. But what if Alice had, like, wandered over to the Red Queen's castle or, like, someone said, Hey, you, like, it's the prophecy. And she's like, I'll, I'll let me see this Red Queen for myself and decide if I want to take her down. And, like, then she gets <laughs> to see, then she sees the Red Queen firsthand execute a frog for eating the pastry. A frog like, with a family. A frog with a family. <laughs> and, but it all needs to be seen through Alice's eyes. Alice needs to be in every scene. I agree. You could have also pushed that tart scene to when Alice is there instead yeah. of those boring long scenes in the castle where nothing happens. Like, she shows up. Also, it would have been way funnier if we meet the Red Queen after having it built up and built yeah. up. Because she's ridiculous looking. If they're like, she's so scary and horrible, and, and then it's... a joke, and she just has a big head. Yeah. And she, Alice comments on it, and it's like... And she's just a fucking snark about it. Yeah. That's, I think giving Alice a little bit more snark... There's one really solid line <laughs> yes. from Alice, which is she's talking with Hamish's mother, with her fiancé's... Fiancé-to-be's mother, and they're walking around, and the fiancé-to-be... His mother is sort of a commentary on like for like setting up the red queen because she is this very like I want to control everything and I oh they put in white roses instead of red roses which is so blatant but she goes Alice do you know what I fear more than anything else and Alice just whispers the decline of the aristocracy <laughs> 
And she goes, no, ugly grandchildren. And that's like the one that's moment awesome. that I laughed. It was the one laugh out loud moment I had. Because that was so funny and so real and felt like, oh, is this Alice's personality? Are is we going to see it? Does she have a little bit of snark in her? Yeah. Or if she's not snarky, oh my God, she actually said something like out of line. That'd be yeah. crazy, but we don't know what her personality is. So I, the snark didn't matter. Making Alice active and giving her a personality and we you can lean into her being snarky. There's a lot of great moments where like, even if she kind of lampshades everything where it's like, she like the caterpillar. There is a, another kind of good moment where the caterpillars. He just smokes the whole time because that's the thing with the caterpillar. And she can like waves the smoke out of the air and goes, yeah. "Will you just stop doing that for two seconds?" Yeah, like yeah. So I think the biggest flaw is just Alice, and that's not a good thing. My second problem, and I, I had notes on my phone. My second problem is that they just kind of aren't sure what film they're making yes. because in in some scenes it is fully like. It's Wonderland. It's whimsical, and they're, I, I kind of get why they won production design, because the stuff in the Red Queen's Castle, there's all these little moments yes. where it's just like hammering in that she's so mean. They don't have a chandelier. They have a bird flying nonstop to hold the lantern up. And That's the, chairs, the chandelier. The chairs don't have legs. They're just monkeys holding up these seats. Forever. Like, and there's those are funny moments. Those are, those are yeah. reminiscent of the original one. And it shows the personality of the Red Queen, and it's imaginative, and it, like... It gets you to be, like, you know, on the side of Alice and the White Queen to be like, oh, we need to free these people from this thing. Yeah. And then the rest of the movie is bleak and Lord of the Rings yes. and, like, extremely, like, all the, it's, it's, it's best exemplified in the frog scene, I think, where it's this weird, weird thing where she's, oh, who ate my chocolates? Who ate my candy? And... They walk. They're like walking by this l- row of foot soldiers who are all frogs, and they're like, "Did you eat the tarts? No, my lady. Did you eat the tarts? No, my lady." And I was like, "Oh, this is kind of funny." And then one of the frogs has, I think, jam on the side of his mouth, and yeah. she goes, oh, "Jam!" And then they grab the frog, but then the frog starts screaming for his life, like, "I was so hungry! Please, please, I have a family!" It's like, "Whoa!" If you're gonna make this whole thing whimsical, why not make it, you know, funny? <laughs> like, I get that the frog is dying, but like. You've made everything else funny. Why not just make that funny, too? Yeah, it's it's just... They they don't know how to ride this line between legitimately Wonderlandy and then super bleak, dark, war political drama. Well, and there's even that part where Alice and the Mad Hatter are, like, walking through the forest, and when he has his, like, non-flashback, <laughs> and, like, it's a little bit, like, dark and creepy, but there's still color and there's still stuff happening. And then when we get to the non-flashback... It gets just so dark and gray and, like, all ashen and, like, gross. And I get the point is that it burned down, but it came out of nowhere. Like, we were just in this kind of, like, bright, like, foresty area. And now it's just, you know. And, it, it, yeah, it's, I agree. There's just, no, there's just nothing there. Like, you, you don't even see, like, other trees in the background. Like, it just has completely gone grayscale because we, you know. Death. Because Goblet of Fire decided it wanted to be grayscale, so everything whimsical <laughs> has to now be gray. It's it's very, it, it's breakneck how fast the tone changes. Yes. Like, the scene where she confronts the dog, and she's like, Hatter trusted you, dog! And she's tiny, and she's yelling at this big dog. She goes, it's my dream. I can do whatever I want in my dream. I'm going to decide where it goes. We're going to the castle. And we see this great big swoop of like, oh, the castle's all weird and the architecture looks like hearts because of the Queen of Hearts. And then the dog goes, there's only one way in. And then you see the lake of disembodied (laughs) corpses. And you're like, 
These this is not the same movie. It's no. like two script. It's like someone wrote a full on Alice in Wonderland of adult Alice comes back and Wonderland is waiting for her to kill the Jabberwock, and then someone took a very serious take on Alice in Wonderland and they just slapped them together. Well, I would get it if it was like trying to be this like mixture of things where it's like things that are magical are not as magical as you think but it's still supposed to be a magical world. So there's, mm. it's just two differing ideas. Like, if they had done the thing where they said, Wonderland isn't actually as wonderful as we're saying that it is, and, like, you actually get this, like, really hard truth that Alice, this world that she once lived in, and, like, got to experience that was so wonderful, it's not the same, it's changed. And if you ever, if you explore that, and then you have these weird, creepy things happening, mm-hmm. then you get the dichotomy, it's like, oh, I get it, like, it's, you know... It's bright and colorful on the outside, but here's this thing that's happening on the inside. Without yeah. that understanding, you just have a lake full of disem- like disembodied heads yeah. floating there. I think what, and this is kind of a separate point, but sort of ties back into all these other ones. What this film is truly missing is a theme. There's no real theme besides, like, I'm Alice, and that's not a theme. The theme is most unorthodox. (laughs) What if they leaned into the theme of growing up? What if, like, because you could plant that really hard in the beginning, which is like, I want to sail, I want to be like father, I have all of these imagination, things from my imagination, and her mother goes, Alice, you need to put that away and grow up. You need to get married to Hamish, you need to be a woman, you need to be an adult. And then Wonderland is creepy and sort of dying off because it's growing up Mm -hmm. and like it's not supposed to it's getting old and it's kind of falling apart and then at the end it could still get its colors back and like that's how alice does it and she's like oh i'm not i'm i'm gonna grow up i choose to grow up and Mm -hmm. i will do it but not the way that you know you're telling me to it's you still get to be your own person and get to be your own thing but you're gonna be different yeah it's What's a little nonsense now and then is relished by the wisest men. Like, there's nothing wrong with being imaginative and being whimsical. And if they, if they, if they, even if that's not the theme, they just need to find a, a tied together reason for everything that happens because nothing's connected. <laughs> I mean, we're we're grown up adults co- complaining about a children's movie from 2010. Trust me, we're, we've grown up, but we're still holding on to that magic. <laughs> yeah, when I was a I, kid, I loved disembodied. <laughs> There's, there's a way to make this story work, this theme work. I, I like it. I think that's yeah. a really good idea. I think if I think if they went with a the theme and they went with this idea, not of being unorthodox, but of being an adult, and they went... That's very Disney. That's a very, like, you, you have to grow up, yes, but you don't have to be... You don't have to give up being a child. You don't yes. have to give up having fun and being whimsical and having imagination, because I love the idea of if Wonderland runs off of imagination... What if the Red Queen, what if they make the Red Queen look so much more like Alice's home? Like, it's all very stoic and, like, serious, and she's sucking all the color out of Wonderland. And then, ironically enough, the White Queen is like, no, Wonderland is colorful, and Wonderland needs to, like, thrive and be weird. It'd be almost fun if, like, the Wonderland was CGI, and then, like, when you get down to, like, the, this is more of a technical thing, but, you Mm -hmm. know, like... When you get to the the Red Queen, like everything's very like plain, and it's all mostly like live action and like practically made, and it like look it does look like exactly like her home, but then like you know you've got the the fantastical Wonderland trying to like co- like push, push its way up back against in, it and, like figure out like figure out what what thing is gonna thrive. This this is kind of my final point in like things that I really noticed that 
irritated me because the rest of it is just all sort of ties back into like yeah. Alice isn't a strong character. This the movie the theme is muddled. The tone is weird. There is a very specific thing that they do at the beginning of this movie, specifically at the party, where they foreshadow things that don't need to be foreshadowed. She shows up to the party, gets out of the carriage, and is immediately confronted by, like, Hamish, who I guess is supposed to be, like, he's sniffing all the time, and he's kind of, like, pretentious. And then Hamish walks away, and twins walk up. Identical, this is the buzzer of (laughs) I hate this movie. Identical girl twins in stripes. And so immediately you go, oh, that's Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Why are they here? (laughs) What are they doing? (laughs) Well, then you get the other foreshadow of uh, the the guy, like, uh, fooling around with a girl, which is supposed to be the knave of hearts. Mm -hmm. But that's, like, barely even a character trait of his. But that's, like, because why are we supposed to even care about that? Because, like, later on, that becomes a thing that Alice, like, looks at him and says, you need to treat my sister right. Yeah. Also... Her sister, I think, is supposed to be the queen, the white queen, yeah. because she's very ethereal. Wouldn't it make more sense to sort of play into, like, did it happen? Was it a dream? Why not have the actors play those counterparts? Why not have Helena Bonham Carter play Hamish's mother? Yeah. And, like, then it makes sense. Then it's like, also, Tweedledee and Tweedledum, instead of those gross potato boys, I would have loved it girls. if it was those twins, those twin girls. That totally. would have been a cool take on it. But have the have Crispin Glover play her sister's husband. Have yeah. Anne Hathaway play her sister. Because then at least it makes sense of like, is it real? Is it in her head? Why the actors? It's the Wizard of Oz thing, or yeah. it's she's either dreaming it or it's just taking from people she knows. And then, what if? And this is kind of weird. What if Hamish was played by Johnny Depp? And that's the that's the conflict because like he's all weird and creepy and gross, and then that's the one big shift is in the other one he's heroic and he's yeah. kind of more out there and wild. That would have been at least something interesting. Otherwise, something. why are why are the twins there? Why is why is anything happening? No, I, I feel that. I mean, my. Yeah, there, there's so many small things to go into, but I think yeah. I don't want to deal with that. The one more big thing is the thing I don't think we've t- covered yet. I, I want the characters to stop being so mean. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. When, they, when, they, when Alice first shows up, like, half the characters are like, that's not the real Alice. Everyone yells at her. And, like, the you flowers yell at girl. her. You stupid girl. And you traitor. And, the, and I mean, like, yeah, there's, like, some mean stuff that happened in the animated one, but the, it was still mostly just, like, we're having a tea party. Come join our tea party. Mm-hmm. There's some weird shit happening. I'm a caterpillar that smokes, but I still listen to you. And it would have been, like, I think uh, Absalom should have been the only one that was, like, mean, but he mm-hmm. still, like, is doing it to, like, you know, force a change in Tough Alice. Tough love. Why Why can't the white rabbit, why can't the mouse, <laughs> why can't everybody just be nice to her? And, like, and I think if we did this thing where she's an active protagonist and we see things, like, along the way, mm-hmm. and she just runs into people, they'd almost be forced to be nice to her because, like... It's Alice. No, no plot would happen if she wasn't. If she, they weren't just like showing her around Wonderland. It is when you now that you bring it up. Yeah, they hate her yeah. immediately. They hate like, her. And they're like, "You're the wrong Alice," and it's like, "This is the only Alice you got, assholes." Like, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and they're like, "You got the wrong Alice. Look at her. She's stupid. She doesn't remember anything. <laughs> also, she's useless. Like God. No wonder she doesn't do it." But also, she's not the wrong Alice. It's just thirteen years later, dude. How does? 
I was going to say, how does time work? But if you see the sequel, Alice Through the Looking Glass, the entire plot is about time travel. Did you ever think that Alice in Wonderland needed a time travel plot? I didn't think it needed Crispin Glover, but apparently. We'll talk about that some other day. (laughs) Oh, Sarah, you're coming back. Sequel. Sequel for Alice Through the Looking Glass. Uh, But yeah, I mean, that's that's just another thing. I don't know how to fix that specifically, except just rewrite it. Nice. I think it does kind of tie into Alice being an active protagonist because if they were mean to her and she stood up for herself and went, listen, I just fell down a rabbit hole. I have shrunk. I have grown. I have shrunk again. The last thing I need is a mouse and a rabbit yelling at me. And then they were like, Oh, it's Alice! Like, yeah. that at least would have been a moment of, oh, that's kind of fun. Like, or she's... just like, oh, you're not Alice, but I like you. Yeah, it's whoever she is. She's in... She's Whoever she is, yeah. maybe she'll actually kill the Jabberwocky. Yeah, I think it, it all sort of ties back, again, to Alice is nothing. Alice could have been a sign on a stick, and yeah. the movie wouldn't have changed. It's just, they just didn't give her anything to work with, and, like, it, it would have been so... I, feel, I hate saying that because, like, I didn't write a feature film. I didn't write Alice in Wonderland. I haven't done that yet. But I feel like it would have been so easy to make her active. It's it's just worrying that that wasn't their first focus. I, I mean, mean, it comes with it, Tim it, Burton. But it could it could have been her focus, their focus at first, and then this, there could have been yeah. some studio notes. We we don't know how it happened, but like. Even the even the outside agrees. Even that, that buzzer. movie. But actually, uh, if do you have any more specific thoughts on like how to fix it? Because I had a couple. Uh, I want to ask you some questions about about film stuff. Um, I think just my general notes would be the th- the big three: make Alice an active protagonist, find a consistent tone, and find a goddamn theme. There is yes. no point to this movie. Nothing happens. No one really changes. You gotta have a theme, and I think if they found a good theme, it would make all of the rest of it kind of come together. Yeah, no, I, I feel all that, and I think everything else we've said like falls into those three categories, yeah, or sure. at least something like that. For sure. Uh, so you were mentioning Tim Burton before. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on? We haven't done a Tim Burton movie in this in this <laughs> program yet before. What are your thoughts on him, especially from like beginning till now? Tim Burton's a weird one for me because I really there are a lot of films of his that I really like. I really love Edward Scissorhands. I love Beetlejuice. Nightmare Before Christmas is kind of a weird one because it's sort of nebulous as well, to I mean, like. Technically, it was produced by him and not directed, but yeah, but it's it's a very Burtony movie. Yes. Um, I think he. I love Corpse Bride. That's the last one I could remember. He has a very. And I'm not the first person to say this, of course. He has a very distinct sort of to use a word, oeuvre. He has a very distinct, like, he knows what he likes, mm-hmm. he knows what he wants to make, and God damn it, he is going to make that movie over and over yes. and over again. Everyone is sad. Everyone has father issues. Everything has stripes. There's always a specific outsider who's got to fit yeah. into this world. He hates, you know, Americana. He hates normalcy and... I think Tim Burton, to a point, I do like his work. I think anyone who has that strong of a tone is at least interesting to watch. But the longer you go making the same thing, you kind of start to feel like a one-trick pony. It feels like it's less of a thing, and it almost feels like you're you're trying a little bit less. Because, like, I agree, like, the start of his career was, like, something, something like, amazing. Like, mm-hmm. he, he was a visionary, like, so different, you know, doing these 
weird like horror comedies almost and like really getting into like I mean I don't know if Edward Scissorhands would be a comedy necessarily I, but there's mo- I think there's moments A Man with Scissors for Hands is like that's, it's just inherently yeah. funny but like stuff like yeah stuff like Beetlejuice and like uh, Edward Scissorhands even Batman's not like a comedy but mm-hmm. it's like a very fantastical reality where just like these weird things happen but he's still stuck to like this grounded gothic tone I, and it just felt like it it evolved into this weird thing when he went not I don't say mainstream I, I'm gonna go with Disney mainstream when he tried to fit into a mold of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory mm-hmm. Alice in Wonderland uh, Dark Shadows oh my god uh, Dark Shadows everyone forgets about Dark Shadows yeah I, on purpose uh, and, and then like Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children mm-hmm. like all the things that seem like the quote-unquote, like, surefire hits are the things that, like, didn't do well. And the things that were the big risks, like, when Batman was this weird, dark, gothic thing, no one thought that was going to happen. Yeah. Doing a weird (laughs) comedy of Michael (laughs) Keaton as Beetlejuice and, like, a man with scissors for hands. Like I think... Just my perspective on Tim Burton is that Tim Burton was best when he was making movies that he wanted to make. Mm-hmm. And after a certain point, Tim Burton started parodying himself where he went, "Oh, this is the stuff that people like. These very specific things that my movies have done, that is why people like me. And if I don't stick in that box, it's not a Tim Burton movie anymore." Whereas before it was just I want to make movies like this, and I don't really care if people like them. They're my movies. So I think at a certain point it became almost self-parody, and that's where yeah. it stopped being fun because you feel it, it feels like he stopped caring about it. Well, he overcame that when he did animated stuff. Like he did the Corpse Bride in between like mm-hmm. mainstream stuff, and he did Frankenweenie in between stuff. And like yeah, and I love both of those. Those are really good. And I, I mean, I, I assume neither of us have seen the new live-action Dumbo that he's doing. Like <laughs> no, I have what, not. Uh, <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what do you think about what that is gonna be? when you see it. He's going to have father issues. <laughs> At some point, Dumbo will wear stripes. Like, but that's the sad part. We shouldn't be able... That's, we shouldn't be able to laugh at that. Like, if that's a... It's the same thing that happens when a director sort of outgrows himself. Is like, everyone can say what a Spielberg movie looks like or a Tarantino movie looks like or a Kubrick movie looks like. Yeah. And you can do that with Tim Burton. And when a director becomes an auteur, there's the risk of sort of pigeonholing yourself. And if you try to pigeonhole yourself... You just—it's not interesting to watch. It doesn't feel brave anymore. The thing is, he—I I would love to see him try something, some other style. I know he can't because, like, he had even agrees. <laughs> the huh? buzzer says uh, he's out of time. But no, I—I I, I think it'd be cool to see him do another style. Obviously, he is his own style. He'll never mm-hmm. change if that's his, you know, mm-hmm. dark, broody thing. But oh, I have a, an idea that may be crazy. Okay. But what if picture possi- this possibly as Mel- uh, as uh, his like uh, Tim Burton's final act is Mel Brooks writes a screenplay for a Tim Burton movie and it's called a Tim Burton movie and does everything <laughs> that parodies Tim Burton but Tim Burton directs it I would be I would be so tickled just if he he either has to do something different or he has to fully embrace like, like I think that's when he has to acknowledge this is my style and people I, I, I'm sorry Tim I, I, I don't hope you're not listening but like if you are I hope he is I, that would be I, cool I, we love I, you Tim I really do like and respect you a lot especially for your earlier work but mm-hmm. to know that you recognize that your work has almost pushed into self-parody at this yeah. point that you recognize it and either can move on or acknowledge it and then maybe get better from there 
Yeah. No, I I do like Tim Burton. I mean, I, I'm not saying anything about Tim Burton as a person. Yeah. He's fine. Like, I've never heard it. And obviously, now that I've said that, something's going to come out that he did something <laughs> horrible. And I'm going to be like, damn it, I said on air that I don't... It's going to be between recording and airing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something happens. I think... He just needs to either push himself or lean into it. And he's writing this weird line right now where you just don't even feel like he cares about it. And that makes me sad because I do like his work. I agree. Uh, Last thing before we go. Sure. Uh, Technically, this uh, this counts as a a quote-unquote sequel to the 50 years later to Alice in Wonderland. But this really really was the first live-action remake of the Disney era. Like I'm, I can't. I don't know for sure. I would need to look it up, but I'm pretty sure this was either the one of the first or the first yeah. in this modern era. What are your takes on that? Especially similarly going into Dumbo, like this this live action renaissance that Disney has decided to go through. On a whole. On a whole. I'm torn. That's the thing. Is like it's one of those things where I try to think about it objectively with my like left, you know, left brain like. What are they doing differently? Because if you're remaking a movie, it should be because you want to say something. It shouldn't be because, like, hey, kids love Dumbo. Let's make Dumbo again. And then you just make Dumbo again, which is, I think, what they fell into with Beauty and the Beast was, like, kids love Beauty and the Beast and they love Hermione. Let's just make it worse. Let's just just add 30 minutes of stuff no one wanted. Um, And show Cogsworth dying. That's what kids want. What is it with them and doing that? But um, on the other hand... I cannot pretend that I didn't see the trailer for Lion King and lose every bit of my goddamn shit. Like, oh my god. First of all, that's yeah. not even a live action. That's just an animated movie. It's an anim- but it, well, I mean, it's got, like, live action backgrounds, but all the characters are animated. It, <laughs> like, like, I think they just, like, sent a second unit out to just film Africa. <laughs> Locations went <sweat> Africa. <laughs> and then John Favreau in a warehouse in L.A. just has Donald Glover in, like, a suit, and he just, like, gets on the ground with him, and he's just like, we are lions. We're yeah. lions now. <laughs> no, I I don't like that it works. I don't like that I know consciously it's like this is a cash grab that is playing off of my nostalgia for Disney, but god damn it, it's working. I love Lion King. But I think the reason I want to see it so bad isn't just the fact that I love Lion King, is that oh hey, that's kind of cool that like they're going to be lions and like the voice cast is mostly black. Like it's it's actually they maybe they'll do more of a black trend thing where they're like telling an African story instead of just a story set in Africa. Are you That'd be Matthew cool. Matthew Broderick didn't play a great lion. And Matthew Bro- <laughs> Matthew Broderick brought the spirit of Africa. Um, so quote me on we've, that. We've covered two of the live action remakes that are happening this year. Mm-hmm. There's one more. Okay. In Aladdin. Uh, just some quick <laughs> thoughts on that, and then we can be done. Oh God. Yeah, we don't have enough time. Um. I think it's falling back into that. I kind of brought it up, but if you're making a movie again, you gotta want to say something. Mm-hmm. You gotta, you have to have a reason beyond money. And they, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe this is like a deep passion project for someone. There are things about when they announced Aladdin that I was like, that could be so cool because they did it on Broadway and they reimagined Aladdin Mm -hmm. and it is different and it is very cool and it's not perfect but they did something different Will Smith being blue and like basically playing Will Smith like hey I'm Will Smith I'm the genie look at me and it just doesn't it doesn't feel like anyone cares and it's the same problem I have with Alice you got if, if you don't care why should I care? <laughs> Thank you, Dryer, for buzzing right now to I, emphasize my point. If you I, don't care, why should I care? No, I, I totally get that. I mean, the 
That's why I'm the most skeptical about Lion King. I'm willing to give Aladdin a shot. Really? And Dumbo's the one that honestly intrigues me the most because it looks close to the most different because there's human characters Mm. and you still get that sad fucking moment with Dumbo and his mom. God. Oh, God. So I'll I'll give all three of these a shot for different reasons. Uh, But yeah, so... I think wrap-up thoughts, I also want to see Dumbo, but, like, basically wrap-up. If you're going to remake a movie, have something to say. Alice had nothing to say. Well, what are your final thoughts on Alice as a whole? Um, Alice as a whole, more than anything, makes me sad because Tim Burton doing Alice in Wonderland should have been a no-brainer. That should have been, like, oh, my God, he can go balls-to-the-wall crazy with this movie and no one can tell him it's too weird because it's Wonderland. Yeah. But he didn't. It had just the generic, you chosen one story, yeah. and had some really great visuals, but, like, not a lot else to go with it. Yeah. It just makes me sad. I think, overall, it just feels like a big missed chance. Yes, I agree. Uh, I'm glad we're on the same page with this. <laughs> Actually, uh, I loved it. <laughs> listen, there's, there are a lot of times where Taylor and I have differing opinions. Just listen to The Amazing Spider-Man, too. Uh, so, that's been Dr. Script. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Th- Sarah, thank you so much for being Absolutely. here. Uh, for everyone else, uh, like, subscribe, do all that stuff that we ask you to do every week. <laughs> We're on all the sites. If you want to go leave us a review, leave some five stars in iTunes. You can leave less stars, but I'd prefer five. <laughs> I'd uh, like I'd like four and a half. I'd like to shoot for realistic goals. Uh no, that's just kidding. Sarah, Five stars. Sarah, you, all right, you're not coming back here. No. Uh, but no, you will be back Don't if you would like to someday. No one else don't is going to watch Through the Looking Glass with you. No one else wants to. <laughs> I don't even want to, but God, that just that's a tease for, for, next, for a year or so from now when we do Through the Looking Glass because I hate that movie. I, uh, Taylor has the schedule of what podcasts are coming out next, so I can't tease next week's episode like we usually do. So let's tease an episode that's not happening. Okay. Uh, you, know, you know what's crazy is, you know what's black and white and red all over? Uh, newspaper. That's right. Next week, we're watching Newspaper, the movie. We're, we're doing Newsies. newsies. <gasps> Wait. Oh, no. no, no, no. We're not, we're, oh, my God, Newsies. We're not doing Newsies. I don't know what it is. Taylor knows what it is. Uh, I can't believe it's a surprise. Oh, I want to watch Newsies now. Can we go watch Newsies? Who's your favorite Newsie? Is it Crutchy? Yeah, of course it's Crutchy. What is that even a question? All right. Let's go watch some Newsies.